Okay, so hello everyone. This is um, the BMW Blog Podcast, Episode 3. And today I'm joined by our very special guest, Horacio. And he is the you know editor-in-chief of BMW Blog. So it's very exciting to have him on. Talk to me about stupid stuff. Hey, Nico. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, um, I'm glad that we, uh, we got this off the ground. Uh, I think you've done a fantastic job the first two episodes. And I think to make it more interactive, we can also have, you know, guests coming up on the show and we can talk about some different things. But today, I guess I'll kick off the uh, guest session with myself. So um, I guess there are a few topics that we want to go over. Of course. So I think the the first thing we should talk about is the definitely the leak of the M3 because its grill is seriously controversial. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been a pretty crazy week with the leak right um there was the first one that came out i think last monday it was more of the rear end uh and then naturally i kind of expected the front end to leak as well uh it took a lot of people by surprise uh because they're still in denial that the the kidney grill it's coming to the m3 uh even though i've had a conversation two weeks ago or three weeks ago i was in munich and i did an interview with the um uh, bmw head of design uh domagoj dukech um, he's been at BMW for a while. He was actually, before that, the um, chief designer for M and I. So he definitely had a lot of input in the um, i4, the M3, and M4. So in that conversation, we, we brought up the grill, um, especially since we've seen the spy photos, and it was clear indication that the M3 will follow the steps of the 4 Series with the large grill and the M4. And um, still, people, they're in denial that it's coming. I've I've talked to people on Instagram also, and they pretty much said that, you know, uh, I'm off the track. I have no idea what I'm talking about. It's <laughs> never going to happen. You know, BMW will never do that. But um, the leak came out. Uh, of course, some people thought it was a, there was a fake leak. They also, I've seen comments yeah. saying that it was a marketing ploy by BMW to <laughs> throw everybody off. And um, I mean, I can really, you know, divulge more about that. But I can say <laughs> that, you know, it looks like it was a leak from the factory, from what I heard. Uh, yeah, I don't know the like full. That. Yeah, I don't know the full details, honestly. But I do know that it's not something that they put out, so it was a surprise, I guess, for everyone. Uh, yeah, and I, I, and, love, um, I love that people would think that BMW would leak a picture just to throw people off, like they would yeah, have some I, kind of trouble making a fake grill. No, and I think the reason why they don't do that, I mean, I've I've heard this in previous conversation, is they it's not like they don't like leaks because it it comes out. I mean, clearly that's not good because they have a, a communication plan that usually they like to stick by, and they have a certain way on releasing a product. But I guess the the biggest thing to them is, from what I heard, is they're trying to portray the car in in a good way. So if you have like a low quality, you know, photo, uh, it just doesn't look great, and right. it might take away from the final product, and people get heated about it. So uh, I guess that's why automakers, not just BMW, spend a lot of money on, you know, production of photography and videos and all of that. And right. they want to make sure that when it comes out, it's really polished, right? So it's like an Apple iPhone, right? When it comes out, it has to be, you know, the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so I mean, that's that's the grill. There is no doubt about it. Um, you will have, uh, so the M3 comes out sometimes next year. I think different markets get it at different times, but we will see the car probably next spring. Um, and um, it will follow the steps of the uh, 4 Series concept that was released. So it will have the large grill. It's uh, it's definitely the first time they're moving away from um, you know following the G23 Series into the M3 design. 
And I guess the idea that I've that I've heard from Domagoy was that they want to make sure that some of the cars that they build are a little bit more special and they're not just uh, you know built on the production series car. So they're they're okay. looking for something fresh. They wanted to do something fresh, basically. I guess that was the main message. They wanted to do something more bold. They've heard people, you know, in the last few years and customers saying that the design, it's not bold enough. They need to go a little bit, you know, uh, uh, crazier, to put it that way. And I think there were um, some previous board members that were pushing for that, and they were trying to do that with a new M3. The M4 will essentially have the similar front and maybe a few changes. I don't know the full details. But um, I did read somewhere. I didn't, you know, um, hear it firsthand. But the uh, Kinney grill on the Concept 4 series, apparently, or the front end, at least, it's, you know, 80 to 85%, you know, the final thing that we will see. Oh, wow. It's that, cl- it's that close to production. Uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, I've seen also comments on our website, right? And I've seen it on social media saying that maybe, you know, it's just a concept and it's not going to look like that. And uh, this is this is not a vision, right? So when BMW does a vision concept, then that's something that you might not see on the final product, but it's just a regular concept to put it that way, which will lead into right. a production car. So, okay. so I don't think there is any more surprises there. You can look at the spy photos on the web and our website too, and you can clearly see the large grill underneath. Uh, of course, the other discussion that people have is where is the uh, front plate going to be on? <laughs> that is very discussed on our. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I mean, I talked to Domagoy about that too, and they said, I mean, of course, they've tried different positions on where to put the license plate. I mean, other automakers do that as well, and in the end, it's uh, the fact is that not all markets require a front grill, uh, not even all the U.S. states. So basically, they said that they can't really design a car around the Kinney grill. They always try to make the best possible, you know, front end design, and then. Uh, whichever regulations dictate where the front grill goes on, then that's going to happen. All right. So in states so, like New Jersey, where I live, the front plate is going, which is mandatory in New Jersey. Uh, it's going to ruin the whole look of the front head of the car. Oh, because yeah, I mean, right in the center of the kidney grills. Yeah, I mean, I guess until we see the final design of the kidney, we won't be able to really tell. And I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that when the when the car comes out, you'll have. Uh, the European kidney grill on so we can see what it looks like with that. But um, I don't really have the full information on that yet. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, but M3, M4, I guess M3 is coming out first next year. Okay. And then it'll be followed. Uh, I guess we will see the 4 Series uh, as well next year, um, either spring or summer. And that will also certainly give us an indication on the uh, uh, Next generation M4, and of course the i4, which will follow in 2021, yeah. which is essentially a four series Grand Coupe uh, with an electric drivetrain. Gotcha. But the design should be similar. Actually, I want to go back to the, the sure. three series and M3 grill. Is the so the you said they kind of wanted to make the M3 seem a little more special with the grill. So is the facelift, like the LCI 3 Series, going to get that same grill as well? Or are they keeping the 3 Series like normal? I mean, honestly, I'm not uh, I'm not familiar with those plans, and I don't think they will share that with any journalist that, that much <laughs> ahead of time. But um, if I were to, my, to give my personal opinion, I would say probably not. I don't see them going... Okay. that aggressive with a facelift and changing the entire front end because that kind of defeats the purpose of differentiating the 
M3 from the regular right. 3 series. So Yeah, cuz I didn't know if then, before you had said that they wanted to keep it special. I didn't know if that was going to be a 3 series thing moving forward or just a just the M3, which is interesting because isn't the standard 4 series coupe going to have that? Grill as uh, well? Yeah, just so, M4? No, so the uh, 4 series coupe will be like I said 80 to 85% close to the concept 4 series that came out. Okay, so the the standard so, four series will have that grill, but the standard three series won't probably won't as far as correct. I know right now. Correct. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I was, you know, I mean not something that I was told, but that's something that makes sense, right? I mean if right. they if they talk about having to differentiate the M3 from the rest of the lineup, uh, like the three series lineup, then it doesn't make sense to bring the three series with a large grill as well. But then again, I'm not hundred percent sure, so I don't want to speculate. Of course, that's something I don't know for sure. Yeah. But uh, I guess the one quote that I that I remember from Domagoy was that you know the uh, the M version, you know he says something like around the lines that it's always about exaggeration, about you know something bold, and he also said that when they start to design the cars, they actually the the sketches start really with the uh, with the best version of that car, which in many cases it's the M car. So then they tone it down basically to a production series, three okay. series or four series and that. But they always try to design the sportiest car possible through sketches and then adapt that to the engineering challenges, to the uh, product that they want to launch, like a regular series and so gotcha. on and so forth. So It's, it's um, very interesting to see, though, because um, and you brought up the i4 before. And is the i4 going to have a similar grill or is this do you know? Yeah, so I mean, so the i4 it's based on the regular Ford series. It's just the right. Ford series Grand Coupe. Uh, it will have a similar grill, just probably still different because it's an electric car. Yeah, it, so, should, it probably will either be completely closed or exactly. just a couple of slats. Like the Audi e-tron has like a few functioning vents for like just battery cooling. But um, exactly. It, but what's interesting about that is that the grills are getting bigger, but as you know, BMW and the rest of the auto industry is trans, you know, making a transition to electric cars, but which don't need grills. So it's kind of interesting to see that the grills, the, the size of them get bigger as we need them less and less. I think that's kind of funny. Yeah. But then again, you have to think that the design of these cars usually start years back, right? So, yeah, you know, the four series, it's a seven series, it's a uh, seven years production cycle. So basically, Probably they started the design, you know, six, seven years ago with sketches, and it was probably frozen three, four years into the process. So they've been doing this for a while. So I mean, right. I'm sure, I'm sure they're working right now on the next generation of cars, which might be completely different than what we get today. But yeah. uh, as far as the the Kimi size being large, um, you know, if you look at if you go to an auto show and you look at some other cars, and I've had this conversation with Damago and also with Adrian Van Hoyang at different auto shows. If you look at other, if you look at other automakers, they all have really large grills. I mean, you, look oh, at, yeah. uh, you know, you look at Benz, you look at Audi, uh, you know, and Alpha and all these companies, they have really large grills. Oh, yeah. And I think BMW might just be the last one to, uh, to do this. And I think BMW's, um, the, the kidney grill design was always, it's just such a signature design that it's one of those, like, the grill designs that everyone knows. So when it does change, it's pretty shocking. Like the, I think the only other car company with a grill design as iconic as the kidneys is maybe Jeeps with the, you know, the vertical mm-hmm. slats. So anytime it, you know, such a familiar design changes, people really, really kind of freak out about it. Um, so I think that's, that's really, cause you're right. Every car company has huge grills now. I mean, the Toyota 
the new Toyota Avalon is entire the whole front end is grill. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. So yeah, I, th- I think it really just comes down to the familiarity from uh, fans. Exactly, and uh, and I think the other thing that's important to mention is that um, in that interview, I've also learned that they don't plan to do the full grill on all the cars. So you're okay. not going to have the large grill on every single car that comes out. You know, they're still trying to differentiate in between models. That doesn't mean that everything that comes out from now on is a very large grill. Okay, so, so maybe like uh, just maybe sportier, bolder models or something like that. Maybe you know, they kind of just pick and choose which cars get the grills that large. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, to put this to to rest this issue, I mean, uh, since we started with the leak, I mean, there is no doubt you will get a large grill. We will see it sometimes next year. Uh, there will be a test drive next year as well. And I think the bigger the bigger story really than the uh, Kini grill will be, uh, you know, the M3 having, you know, an all-wheel drive and having a new engine. Right. And I think there are a few other, you know, interesting things that will have for us and that will make it probably a really great car to drive. But then again, that will happen next year. And um, and we'll see how you know our readers and customers respond to the design. You know, I'm very interested as well to <laughs> to see the reaction. Yeah, and see if people get used to it. I mean, I've, I've I sometimes struggle to adapt to changes, and I like the way things are. And then when I look back a few years, and I'm like, yeah, that didn't really make sense, and I should like it a little bit more now. So I'm right. kind of curious to see uh, if. Uh, if we'll love it more in the future than we do today. I mean, I actually don't don't mind it. I've seen some of the renderings, and I think it looks very bold. And I've heard off the record that the car looks even more imposing in person. That's one thing that I can share that, you know, apparently if you see the car from up close, especially, you know, the M2 and M4, which is really aggressive, then it kind of makes sense. But we'll, yeah, I guess we'll have to see. It's interesting because I don't like the way it looks right now, but I also really didn't like the seven series LCI when it got its giant grill. And now after seeing it more and seeing it on the road in certain packages and certain colors, I actually am starting to like it. So maybe, so like you said, uh, over time, um, not only, well, you know, the average car enthusiast get used to it, but I think fans will get like real hardcore BMW enthusiasts will get used to it as well. And maybe even just really mm-hmm. come to like it and love it as a, you know, as a exactly. forward. Yeah, and I mean, and you mentioned the seven series, right? Um, I think the seven series—it's a—it's such an interesting story. I mean, the project started also many years ago, but I think initially they wanted to go with a very large grill on the pre-facelift model because they did a vision car. I think it was called Vision uh, Vision Future Luxury, right? And yeah, apparently that was that was supposed to kind of lead into the seven series with a large grill, and um, I don't know exactly the full details why it didn't happen, but they decided to be a little bit more conservative. And um, they kind of scraped the plans. That's 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 what I heard. But um, I, I guess the idea was to to always have something more imposing, more like like bolder. So I'm actually right. very curious to see what happens with the next generation seven series. Which by now, the design should be frozen. I think the car should be out. You know, based on the cycle that they usually have, 2022 maybe, okay, 2023. So by now, they have the design on. Uh, a lockdown to put it that way and yeah maybe next year or the year after we'll see the first um, uh, test meals and it will also have a electric version so we have to see how that's going to look compared to the regular uh, you know drive trains what else you want to (laughs) know i think the next thing we should probably talk about is the m8 
because oh, yeah, you, right. have, yes. uh, you have some experience yes. with that. Yes, I was fortunate to um, to go to Europe actually and drive the M8 uh, along with the 8 Series Grand Coupe. So I can tell you about that after. Uh, basically, I went to uh, Portimao in southern Portugal. So this is uh, near a city called Faro. It's a test track that's used uh, by Formula One teams uh, pre-season, so a testing track. And it's I've, I've been there before with the M3 and M4, the current generation, and it's a very challenging track. Uh, lots of elevations, lots of corners, um, very, very technical and actually extremely dangerous if you don't know the track and even if you do know it. So I guess they picked the, um, they picked the track because the car has a lot of power and they wanted to let the journalist really feel the car and especially how it handles tight corners and elevations so they gave us the um the m8 competition coupe that was on the track and i published the review i think a couple of weeks ago and also i drove the m8 convertible and that was a regular street driving um the review should go live uh by monday i wanted to, to kind of space them out a little bit but yeah so as far as the m8 competition coupe like on the track um what can I say? Let's start with the fact that people, uh, you know, talk about supercars and all of that. And BMW were saying many times that, you know, the M8, maybe it's a supercar. And uh, and people assume right away that, you know, a supercar, it's always something with an exotic design. But I guess the way that BMW sees a supercar is really a car with a lot of power and a little bit exotic, but not necessarily a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. So, so Right. Because yeah. like the traditional supercar that people think of is mid-engine you know, very exotic design. So when you see a front exactly. engine kind of big, mm-hmm. you know, four seat, two plus two, rather, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of throws off expectations. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing, right? So if you look at performance, it definitely has the performance of a supercar. There is no doubt about it. I actually asked specifically uh, uh, the uh, the photographers and the video guys out there to help me out to set up uh, some cameras and be able to do a standard sprint from 0 to 60 to 0 to 100 kilometers per hour and then the uh, 0 to 200 and I asked actually uh, Martin Tomchik which is the uh, BMW Pro driver and he did a run um, I was not able to use a V-Box since I didn't have one with me so basically all the timing that we did was based on the speedometer and it was around 2.88 seconds to 62 which is really impressive then of I course mean, if, you do, if you use yeah i mean then if you use a v box i mean if i were to speculate you're probably going to lose another 0.2 seconds 0.3 so maybe the real you know standard sprint is maybe around three seconds 3.1 which is still extremely extremely fast yeah i've actually and, seen uh, um i think car and driver with a v box like with proper timing software mm-hmm. uh recorded the m5 competition at 2.8 seconds and that's heavier. So yeah, is, yeah. I think the M8 should be able to run under three seconds to 60. And if so, I mean, that's right there with cars like the Audi R8, the Ferrari um, 488, and a lot of crazy, crazy supercars. Yeah, exactly. So, but you see, that's, that's not the full story, right? I mean, I, the car, it's really competitive on the racetrack. Um, I was following Martin. He was the lead car, you know, basically to help us, all the journalists there to, um, achieve our best since it's always easier when you have a pro driver showing the uh, the correct lines and, and kind of you know picking up the pace if you're going fast enough and I mean the car is extremely fast I don't think that you know personally I'm a, 
I've been, you know, driving on the track a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm decent, and I don't think that I've that I was able to even get to the fifty percent of, you know, the car's potential. I mean, it was just, it was just too much car for what regular people can actually handle. It's, yeah. it's, it's extremely powerful. You know, it has power. You know, low RPM. The transmission, it's extremely smooth and precise. Uh, it, the suspension, it's great. I mean, it's almost no body roll in any corner. And it's I mean, because of the X-Drive and also the um, this one had the uh, Pirelli P0s, which are extremely sticky. Uh, it was also the perfect temperature that day. It was not too, um, uh, too cold and not too warm. And um, I had a lot of fun, honestly. I mean, no sliding was allowed, but... We did uh, turn up the DSC uh, on the last few laps, and basically we just let the um, uh, you know the X drive kind of kind of handle the um, the track, and it, it was great. I mean, honestly, I wish I had more time. We didn't do a lot of laps, but uh, it was enough to uh, realize it's really a great car, and um, I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to driving it again on, on another track and get more experience. On the regular yeah. road, I mean, it's six. It's over six hundred horsepower. I don't think a lot of people will ever use that. No. But I, and I don't think that people buy it for the horsepower either. It's it's a car that you know it's it's fairly exotic. It looks good. It's uh, it's stylish. I think it's you know it tells people that you know it's like a status. I think some yeah. people want to achieve that in the car, and that's a good way to do it. Not necessarily to buy it to go racing. And I don't think a lot of MA customers will go racing with a car. <laughs> I have a feeling. Maybe one percent of them eight customers actually take it near a racetrack. Exactly, I think a lot of people. I mean, the MA fifty I would be uh, uh, more than enough. But you're buying the M cars right. for that special status, special, you know, M DNA and all of that. So I was not disappointed because I w- I went in with the expectations on, on on what the car should be, and um, I was actually gave it a really favorable review because there was not much that I could really find at fault. I mean, so yeah. it's kind of the Maybe story of that. Yeah, I did read your review. You seemed like you liked it a lot. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about it, and it's very interesting, is the brakes. So it's like the first, I, I think it might be the first car I've ever heard of that has configurable brakes, like through the, yeah. through the drive select mode. Yeah, so we, I haven't really um, haven't really played with that because they, okay. um, there was there were a couple of uh, presets that were set up for us, like with the M1 and M2. Oh, right, yeah. And we didn't... That. And we didn't really go into trying to configure the car, but that's kind of the idea of this new uh, new models that you see from from them is that they really give you a lot of options in this in the menu there. You can really configure your car to your liking. So, right. uh, I mean, you can change right the steering, the suspension, the you know throttle response, the uh, transmission. Uh, so many different settings, right? go in there really change the character of the car so with the brakes it will be interesting to see if we can test that on a maybe on a week long you know test where we yeah. really have a chance to go into the menu and i think the car that i drove correctly had the carbon ceramic brakes and you know those are always fan- like fantastic i mean they're not cheap i don't remember the price in the u.s or in germany <laughs> but i know they're not cheap but i mean I they're just worth to jay it, actually yeah. he said they were nine thousand dollars <laughs> so nine thousand yeah. dollars yeah so i mean if you have the money you know Money, it's no issue. I would definitely get them on because they're lots of cool. They're they're really grippy and uh, it's just a nice add-on onto the car. But on on a track, yeah, on a track it makes a huge difference. I was I was breaking late many times, and you know that allows you to do that. I mean, otherwise, 
um, you know, it's not always recommended. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, sure. the M8 has like configurable brakes. So it doesn't. It has a. Uh, I think it's like a vacuumless brake booster, and uh, mm-hmm. it's all brake by wire. And you can actually configure it so there's like two different settings: comfort and sport. I believe is that correct? Comfort and sport. I honestly I don't remember by heart. Um, but um, yeah. when we like when we ever. Whenever we go on these test drives, typically BMW sets up the cars with like the M1 and the M2 buttons. They set them up with settings that they think we should be using, and we're not really supposed to change them. So that's what when Horatio said it, that they're not like, um, you know, he wasn't able to change it. That's why they don't like when we mess with the settings on those test drives. I th- I think the reason why they do that is because there is always a time constraint. There are always a lot of journalists, and they're trying to make sure that everybody gets you know a fair amount of you know track time. So if you start to change things and you take longer, then it kind of messes up the whole groups. They're very precise, you know, as you'd expect and how they, right. um, how they set up the, some of the events. Uh, they're not all the same. I mean, some of them in the U.S., you definitely get a lot more of track time. And that's one cool thing about the events that we do here a lot. I mean, basically, we always get to drive twice or three times. And, you know, sometimes they just go to an event, right, like together. And they say, you know, here are the keys, you know, and you have the track for the whole day. So I think yeah. those are the those are the times where you can really go and really test different you know settings and all of that. But um, that's why all the magazines do different tests. They do like a first drive, and they do a more extended one, and then they do some track time. Exactly. And essentially, you can you know discover the car many times. Yeah, because at, uh, at, at the events, it's 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 trying to be as efficient as possible. You know, they want to get every journalist in, they want to get it done in one day, and they want send mm-hmm. everyone home. So. Yeah, we don't get to play with a lot of the settings. And also, I don't think they want anyone doing something stupid and turning traction control off on a track with 600 horsepower. Yeah, I mean, the reason, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have, like, in the past where people have done that. And, you know, you have to be mindful because those events, when you go there, you're not trying to beat any track times. You're not there to compete with any of the pro drivers being there with you. We sometimes hang out, you know, F1 drivers or, you know, DTM champions, and you're never going to be able to be them. So there is no point to really go there and do anything crazy. So they try to make sure that you're having a good experience with the car. You're testing to your full potential, but not you're not there to impress anyone. They're not there. They're not looking to, to hire any new drivers, basically. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, tell that, some, tell that to some of the other journalists that try to be um, heroes on the track. It's, it's like sure, a I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure many of us have, you know, done this like in the past. I'm, I was probably guilty of this in the beginning too, where I was trying to prove something. But you're there really to drive as as the customer really, or what a regular customer would do with most of the cars. And then if you want to go a little bit faster, you could. But turning the traction control off, I mean, it's rarely allowed because the tracks that you're on also have, you know, um, you know, rules, and you're trying to be safe. You're not trying to, you know, create any chaos that day. So. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah, right. that's kind of, that's kind of the M8. I mean, the other thing that I could talk about a little bit, you know, without going too much into detail, is the M8 convertible. You know, we drove it on the roads, basically around uh, the the track, and then yeah. back to Faro. There are some scenic roads, lots that of lots fun. of curves. Yeah, I mean, lots of curves. It's always nice to put a top down. Uh, the engine sounds actually really good with the with the top down, oh, and yeah, it's it's just a grand tour, basically at that point. Uh, it's meant for two people. I mean, especially if you live in, you know, California or, you know, Miami and all these places, I can definitely see it's being super popular. It's a good looking car. It sounds good. It's inside. It's quite premium. 
you know, yeah. and it just makes for a nice driving experience. It drives just like the M8. I mean, honestly, you have to go back to back on the track to see. I'm sure there is a difference maybe because of the uh, soft top. But, I mean, nothing that probably I would be able or many people would be able to tell as far as the driving yeah. experience being any difference. Performance should be the same, too. So, Yeah, I would say the only yeah. like um, way to tell a difference would be like with a stopwatch, you know, like finding that the M8, the, the convertible might be a touch slower just because the added weight, but prob- like there's no way someone's going to notice the difference because I've driven just the M850i coupe and convertible back to back and there's no, dis- like on the road, there's no discernible difference. They're the convertible is so good and so rigid that I would never, uh, you know, say that it's worse because of its uh, convertible top. Exactly, yeah. And honestly, I mean, if you live in a really sunny areas, I mean, it makes sense to buy the convertible over the coupe. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, personally, I prefer it because of the extra noise, you know? You drop the top, yeah. you hear all that crazy noise in the background. Exactly, so much, exactly. So much, it's like there's so much more theater and drama to driving a sports car without the roof, you know? I think it's a much better experience. Exactly. So that was so that was kind of cool. And then the other thing that you know, while I was there, I also had a chance to see the M8 Grand Coupe. Uh, it was a close room, so there were some videos out there that we put out, and some other guys have put out. I was actually spending some time with the guys at, at Car Wow. They were filming some stuff around the car as well. So then again, that's uh, we. I haven't driven the M8 Grand Coupe, but um, hopefully we'll get the chance maybe next year. So but you have um, the regular M850i Grand Coupe, right? So actually, yeah, so I was at the same event is the one to give me the chance to really uh, sample some more cars. Uh, I did not drive the MA50i, but I drove the uh, 40i, so the uh, 840i oh, okay. uh, Grand Coupe, which is the three liter six cylinder engine, the, the B58. Oh, yeah, and um, yeah, so that was, uh, I published a review as well. Uh, then again, it's, it's a Grand Tourer. I honestly liked it just as much as the regular A-Series Coupe. I mean, I, if I were if I was a buyer, you know, in my case, I would pick the four door because of the convenience and all of that. But I can see why someone would pick the, the two door over the four door. Um, the car looks kind of the same. Front end is the same. It's just a little bit wider in the back. It looks a little bit more sportier from the back, the four door. And it's certainly more practical. It has a lot of uh, cargo space. And same, same thing with that car. You can't really find it any fault. I mean, it's, it does what it's supposed to do. And I, I think with the, you know, the coupe market, coupe market, you know, not being so popular the last few years, you can see why customers will be, you know, maybe now or in the future more interested in, in buying a four-door I mean, car. I think the, the Grand Coupe looks better. It's just gorgeous. It's such a beautiful car. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, I've, you and I always talk about this. A lot of people, you know, maybe mention that as well. But, you know, design is subjective and everybody's different. So, right. um, honestly, I, I like them both equally. If I were to buy one for myself, I would buy the, the four door just because of the, uh, the versatility and, it, you know, the rear end. I like better. But um, yeah. both great cars. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of the bottom line with them. Yeah, yeah so. and I'm, I don't know, like, because I haven't driven it yet. I'm probably, I'm sure it's difficult to tell unless you drive like exact model back to back. You know, like, uh, you know, M850i coupe versus Grand Coupe. But the, um, I've heard, and I heard this back with the six series too, that the the Grand Coupe models drive better because of the longer wheelbase and the slightly different wheel track at the back. And there are some 
and like I've read this a few times from other journalists with the six series and even with this new eight series that it's it feels more planted, it feels a little more stable, just a little more comfortable maybe. That um, you know, it's just yeah. it's actually better to drive the four door than the two door. But I mean, again, I haven't driven them, so I, I really can't say. But I I think if you go back to back with the with the cars, you you're not gonna notice that much of a difference. I think no. if you really <laughs> push it hard, you might notice that. But I mean, luckily when 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 we go to Europe, I mean, there's some some great roads where you can really push the car. But if I were to drive the car in Chicago where it's all flat, I mean, there is no <laughs> way I would be able to tell the, the right. difference. I mean, if I go to the track, maybe. Um, and I truly think that it just comes down to personal choice. I'm I'm sure that it's more stable, you know, uh, being a little bit wider and and all of that. But um, it will be very, very close to each other. I honestly don't remember the uh, weight difference in between the two. So that's an interesting fact. But um, off the top of my head, I don't know. But it, I mean, it's heavier, but it's probably not by. You know, for sure, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I remember having a conversation with Bill Oberlin, you know, the, the BMW driver in the US uh, years back. And, you know, I was asking him, you know, if he really feels, you know, the added weight on any car. I mean, he was basically telling me that, yeah, I mean, a, a pro driver is going to be able to tell even like a few kilos extra, like on a car, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, but honestly, I think most of us, if you, you know, add <laughs> 50 kilos, you're not going to be able to right. really tell. Right, so, especially in a car like that where it's so you know refined and luxurious. You know, maybe like a track car, you could tell like a, the average person could tell a difference, like you know something stripped out, but not in something that's already so heavy and so refined and luxurious. Exactly, and I think the customer for the A series Grand Coupe. I mean, it's somebody that, like in my case, I see myself driving that car before a seven series. Like to me, it would be hey, you know, if you have let's say you have like a large family and oh, yeah. you you travel like all the time and you don't want the seven series, you know, not because of it's kidding or it's design, just because maybe not very not might be your style, then I can see why somebody will will pick the uh, the four the four door Grand Coupe. I mean, especially being that big, you know, and you know, large in size, and uh, I think that's kind of where customers are going when you know, they look at these right. two cars. I think um, the seven. The only reason to buy the 7 Series instead would be if you're A, going to be in the back, like you know, having mm -hmm. someone drive you around, you want the extra luxury, mm -hmm. or you absolutely need to sit three people uh, you know, across, like if you have three children or something like that. You know, yeah, I mean, that, the, the Grand Coupe gives you, the Grand Coupe gives you three seat belts. So, it does, yeah, but the middle seat is yeah, yeah, cramped compared to yeah, the seven series. Correct, you know? correct. There is no doubt about it. That's true. So, like, I, yeah. I really, to, I agree with you. To me, if I'm buying either of those two cars, it's the eight series, it's seven days a week. You know, there's not, not a chance I pick the seven series just because it looks else. better, it handles better, it's more exciting, um, and I don't need that extra third seat in the back, and I'm not going to be in the back seat, so I don't really care about how, the extra luxury of the seven series. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. You know, I'm not a. I don't have the. I don't have paid driver money, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm sitting in the front seat. So that's kind of that was kind of the the trip there. Yeah, that was the trip there. Anything else you like to know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you also drove the M340i, and that's interesting because I drove it recently as well, and I came away thinking that it kind of felt like just a really fast regular three series, but you liked it more. So. Yes, yeah, so my experience with the M340 I actually started about almost a year ago. So I think it was December 2018. Uh, I was again 
in Europe and they asked me to go try a pre-production M340i. So it was the one with the camouflage on. I did a, I did a story on it. And um, actually, the car was also a Portimao, if I remember correctly. So it was on the same track as the M8, yes, actually. So, um, so I went there. The car that I drove at that time, it was the European version. And then you and I went to an event here in the U.S., uh, I think in Palm Springs. Yeah. And there... Um, we sampled the, the US version, right? Yes. And we sampled the US version a little bit, and then you had a you know a longer test drive, like a week long regular test drive with a car. So I've tried it on the track, you know, a couple of times, and then um, I went back once again recently to try the. Uh, I mean, I, I just happened to be in Munich, and I said, hey, you know, do you want to, you know, try the X Drive European version? So I tried that as well. And as you know, because of the um, OPF, the uh, uh, particular filter, it has a little bit less horsepower. Right. Um, I think about it's only 20 a something. little bit, though. Yeah, I mean, 20 something, I think, if I remember. Yeah. And then the um, uh, in Europe, they only actually get the X drive. So that was the interesting part that I've, that I've learned. I really? did not I pay attention. That. Yeah, I didn't pay attention to press release either. So apparently in, in Europe, they only get the X drive because even the previous car. Uh, it was very popular with the all-wheel drive. I decided to uh, st- stick to that. So only the, I'm not only, I only know that getting the rear-wheel drive and the X-Drive. I'm not sure there are other markets, but in Germany, for sure, they're only getting the X-Drive. And um, it's, it's really popular there. And um, I, I tried the car uh, for a little bit. Um, I guess the only difference, again, I mean, you, you won't feel the 20 horsepower difference unless you get to the track. I did not go to the track. Um, it was the um, exhaust system sounds a little bit um, quieter than the U.S. one, and that's expected. Yeah, there's a lot of so, complaints, uh, you know, about from European drivers who don't like the new exhaust. That's on all cars, not just BMW, but correct. Yeah, so I mean, that's just the just the way things are there because of the emission regulations. So they try to do their best to still have a decent sound, but of course, if you, I, I mean, I would love to be able to have. Um, you know, the US one and the uh, European one side by side, be able to record it at the same time with the same camera, same microphone, and kind of see what the real difference is. But yeah. um, that didn't happen. But I guess the car, like overall, I, I, I know you had a different opinion, but I, I like the car. I think it's, it's a really great, uh, you know, three series. It doesn't try to be an M3. I don't think a lot of people or some people don't want the M3. They just want a good three series and he does a really good job with that it's extremely powerful it's it's got a really nice design especially the one that i had it was a tanzanite blue two metallic so it looked really really nice and uh, it, it was fun to drive i put it into some of the uh, back roads there or on munich and it was extremely extremely fun to drive so it kind of reminded me why i should like it the first time which was on the track and yeah. i Remember one of my, you know, three series cars back in the day, a long time ago. It was a, um, um, was a three thirty i, which I liked quite a bit. I think at that time that was the or the three. No, it was a three thirty five i. I think that was the top model back was in the day. E ninety E ninety two. It was the E ninety. Yeah, so three a three thirty five i, and kind of reminded me, you know, why I liked the car <laughs> quite a lot at that time. And this car, it's even better. So. 
yeah, I yeah. think no, I like the car a lot too. It's not that I didn't like the car at all. Like, you know, I, I did like it quite a bit. I think my expectations were a little bit different, and I think that's probably on me. <laughs> but because I had driven it on track um, at Test Fest, you know, in, back in February, but it was pre production. The car was, you know, covered in camouflage. I don't know why they did that, but it was there. And I drove it on track. And I remember being like, wow, this is like really fun. And, it, you know, the tail was kind of, it was sliding around a little bit. It was, it felt, really easy to control and i really liked it and then i got on the road and maybe it's just i was expecting it to be really really exciting and kind of crazy mm-hmm. and maybe it's also just because new jersey roads are really boring so i didn't really have anywhere to drive it too too hard but i remember i just thought that like i kind of was wanting a bit mm-hmm. more excitement but i maybe that's yes. on me my expectations just getting ahead of me so i mean as you know i spend a lot of time with events and a lot of time years especially um, you know, fortunately, BMW at every event they invite a lot of the experts, as they call them. So you have the, the project manager, product managers, uh, and then an engineer for drivetrain, for chassis, for you know steering, for engine. So you can really talk to different people. And what what you learn over 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 time is that, um, especially with the M performance models, as they call them, so anything in between the regular production series and the M cars try to find a good balance so you're talking about a car that can do a couple of or multiple things right so that's why you have this you know adaptive modes where we can go from comfort to sport plus even the driving modes have become wider than before because apparently customers really want to have a big differentiation in between a comfort mode and a sport plus mode right, right. so that gap is wider so they're really trying to cater to a, a wider demographic to a wider customer base and because of that same thing with the M340i. You can start to be a little bit sportier than it is in the regular setting. Be more exciting than comfort and with everything else, uh, you know, toned down. And I think you know, it's once again, it's all about the expectations. It's all about what you want from that car. I think a lot of people that buy that car again, it's just a daily driver. And you know, I can give you like an example in Chicago. If you, you know. And I mean, I drive a, I, I don't drive, I have a 1M and I don't drive it as much as I should just because it's a super fun car to drive. It's, <laughs> it, it's exciting, but if you're stuck in traffic, it's not fun anymore. The car, <laughs> the car, you know, it doesn't do what it's supposed to. Yeah. I'm sure so, 1M isn't great in Chicago traffic. Yeah, exactly. So I guess and... <laughs> if, if I were to own an M340i, I would, you know, flip it into comfort mode in traffic and just, you know, be relaxed and not having to do a stick shift or anything like that. And yeah. I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really mind it, but it's a car that I think customers have to go to the dealer, have to try it. Uh, it's definitely a step up over the 340i that came before. Um, yes, I can't really, I sure. can, yeah, I mean, I can't really compare it to the next M3, but I mean, obviously the, the, the new M3 and M4 will be significantly better, especially because of the different engine and all the other M, M tricks that go into the car. But I'm, I'm, Hundred percent sure that someone will will take the M three forty I at some point and the new M three, and you will put them back to back, and maybe we'll do that too. Maybe it'll be and, us, yeah. You know <laughs> exactly. Maybe we'll do that too because now we have a lot of experience with the M three forty I, and it will make sense to do that to kind of give yeah, that a would be final. Yeah, exactly. So maybe next summer we can do this. Um, one last topic, so I don't waste sure. too much of your time. Uh, the BMW i three, so that might possibly continue on a couple of years longer than people thought and yes yeah, so i want to hear uh, your thoughts on that because you are an i3 owner actually yes yeah, so i actually i'm on my third i3 i 
or generation i3 so i've had them since day one um it's a car that i fell in love with over time i think i bought it first time just because i wanted to see what it is to own an electric car and then i started to love it more and more and i kept leasing the car and um you know over the last few months you know i Kept hearing, you know, off the record, and especially from other, you know, news articles too, that uh, they're thinking about phasing out the car. I think talking about like next year, spring, you know, to stop production, and and I think even BMW might have gone like on the record through some executives. And then it was kind of surprising to see that a new uh, Oliver Dipset it just came on board. You know, he's thinking about keeping the car a little bit longer. And the speculations out there that I've read. And I was not able to confirm them yet, but hopefully at the LA Auto Show, I can talk about that with them a little bit more. Uh, maybe it has something to do with the new offerings from, from VW. You know, all these new electric cars that come all on right. the market, they kind of have a similar uh, packaging and shape as the i3. So maybe that's the reason why they wanted to keep building it. Um, of course, you know, it's, it hasn't been as successful as maybe they wanted in some markets, but I think overall the car did not completely disappoint it's sometimes unfair being compared to the teslas because it's a different car it was built before the model 3 i think the expectations when they build the i3 was and i think especially when when they build the i3 they were talking this i remember 2009 2008 maybe something like that 2009 yeah I, i went to munich and they were showing us some sketches and they were talking about the i3 being a mega city car. That was the term that they used quite a bit. And their idea or their studies showed at the time that, you know, young generation millennials, they're, they're into, you know, hips, like, you know, hipsterish thing, you know, funkier. They, they want to get the, you know, the latest tech and the greatest tech. So they were thinking about building this, you know, funky looking car that's uh, sustainable and carbon fiber. And, it's, you know, the car that you want to drive in the city. So I think that was the idea back then. Things have changed since, you know, or maybe quickly after, you know, with the car sharing Uber and Lyft and all these companies that came aboard. And it kind of changed the mentality of people that, uh, you know, they said, well, maybe we don't want to own a car anymore, especially the millennials say we just want to, you know, share it and, um, you yeah, know, maybe saving money that way. I mean, it makes sense some ways. So I think that's kind of, that's kind of why the story with the i3 uh, was not bigger than it is, but honestly, yeah. I personally, I love the car. It's spacious. Um, I love the fact that I can uh, that I can drive it on electric power most of the time. I have an range extender, but I rarely use it. Actually, I did a you know that's a crazy uh, story that I have to write. I took the car from Chicago to um, Canton, Ohio. So uh, that you was about crazy. A, <laughs> yeah, it was about a seven-hour drive. I don't know or 500 miles maybe and i used the range extender basically <laughs> so i had to stop about eight times to fuel it up two gallon I, tank yeah yeah it literally takes about 15 20 seconds to uh, to fuel the car up so it's not too bad but i was <laughs> i was able to drive with the range extender uh all like all the way there so honestly it was good for a long distance drive too so the fact that it lives on yeah how long I probably for at least like a year, so maybe 2021 till the i4 comes out, and then the i next, which is a crossover. Yeah. Maybe they're gonna keep it longer. I'm hoping they're gonna keep it longer. I don't mind the car, especially if you can get some really good list deals on it. Um, I mean, there are people looking on on you know these swap lease websites, 
and they can you can really grab some really great deals i've seen one i don't know a few months ago maybe it was like less than 200 dollars uh per month lease for a car that was worth about fifty five thousand dollars. so that was that was a steal for many so yeah, i think I mean, with that it's good it and then super it's, cheap exactly and it, and i expect the car if it continues to get some tech upgrades i mean they they mentioned that i think after record but if the car stays around, I think the battery technology has evolved. They they definitely have a, the a newer generation battery packs, which will be in the i4 and the iMax, so they can go higher uh, with the i3 as well. So not necessarily a bigger battery, but uh, you know the density, so well, they can yeah, squeeze if they can out do more. That, if they can do that, um, that would easily make the, the i3 viable for you know a few more years because that's really the only thing holding it back. You know, compared to its competitors, its design is still fresh. Its interior still looks like nothing else on the road. You know, it's rear wheel drive. It handles well. It's well made. The only thing that's, you know, holding it back compared to, you know, newer EV offerings is its range. Yeah. So let me, uh, let me just finish with that basically. So I can tell you from my personal experience, um, I don't drive a lot, but even if I were to drive, let's say 30 miles every day, let's say 40 miles every day, I think with the range that you have right now, Take even Chicago weather. So winter time, you would drop maybe another 20, 25% in range. Depends on the temperature. Depends if the preconditioning. Mm-hmm. So many other variables that could affect the range. But let's say that you go down to, in the winter to, you know, 90 to 100 miles, uh, probably more actually on the on the latest generation. You probably have to charge the car every couple of days, even with a 40 miles drive every day. Um, I think the issue is not really the range. I think the issue with most of the electric cars and why Tesla is really popular, it has to do with, with charging. So if you're, okay. in, if you're in Chicago, which is a really big market, you know, and, you know, big city, you don't have a lot of charging options. So you are limited to even like the fast charging stations. The last time that I counted in the city of Chicago, there were about 10 of them. So it's not it's not enough for a charging network that needs to charge BMWs, and I think they shared that with Nissan and uh, there was one other one. So basically, you're sharing those charging stations with a lot of people, and that's the issue there. If you have more charging stations, the range doesn't really matter because you could go to the grocery stores, and that's kind of where I charge my car. I go to uh, you know sometimes I go to a Whole Foods because it has a charging station. I also change my um, my shopping habits a little bit just so I can go charge it, you know, and it's free also, but you can go right. to other convenience stores, which also have a charging station. And by the time you go in, you do the, sh- you do some shopping 20 minutes later, you can go up to, you know, 80%, you know, especially in the summertime. And, you know, so I think if you add a lot of charging stations and I think that will make uh, cars like the i3 even more popular uh, with newer generation electric cars, the charging rates are also higher. So they'll be charging faster, and hopefully the infrastructure is the one that's gonna it's gonna keep building up because uh, you know the if you look at Tesla customers and, and I know quite a few of them they they get a little bit more access to charging stations and that makes their right. life a little bit easier. Yeah, like the supercharger um, network and all of that. And that's, uh... Exactly, but to me, honestly, the difference between a you know 150 miles i3 and a 200 miles i3 in Chicago, you wouldn't be too big um but it also varies on you know each case customers in different areas or even in europe they have to drive longer or in california they might um they might a little bit more range but california does really well with the charging station so it negates that as well 
But um, yeah, that's gonna be a three. So I'm actually excited to see what they uh, what they can bring to the car. Hopefully, we learn next year. Maybe um, maybe some styling updates. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But I guess the bigger story will be eventually with the i4. I think that's the real first, you know, fully electric BMW that we will see what it can do. Yeah, I am very excited to see that because I think its design is going to look cool, and I like the idea of you know, four-door, sporty, uh, you know, electric car. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, so I mean, that'll, that'll be the fair, be a fair person with the uh, Model 3 or whichever, you know, model Tesla will have by that time. There'll be a fair comparison between the two. <laughs> and then we'll see which one comes atop. And by that time, there'll be some things from everyone else. So Yeah, you know, it'll, it'll be uh, working on... Uh, some interesting EVs, Volkswagen, Audi, Honda. There's a few interesting ones on the horizon. So it should be interesting to see, you know, the competition in the next, you know, three to four years. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And I appreciate so, it's a little uh, bit longer. It's a little bit longer. Hopefully. Yeah, that way. Yeah, that went a little bit longer, but hopefully it was, uh, it was good for everyone. I mean, we'll try to do this more often. Uh, I mean, you're, um, you've done a great job with the previous ones. You're going to I try to get some it. other we'll try to get some other guests on and you know get some other perspectives from from regular right. people not just you know <laughs> a journalist so we will do that yeah we'll try to get some experts maybe from bmw like in the future maybe we'll take some questions from our readers or listeners so um, yes, we'll try to I've, mix it up a little bit yeah i uh, i've been asking people to send me emails to so i can you know answer their questions on the podcast so far i've gotten zero so hopefully we get some more in the future no i, I think there was actually a couple of people actually they uh, reached out on um, either on instagram asking for your email so i'll i'll, we'll, I'll have to double check if you send it to them but um okay. Just, we'll uh, have to drop your email we'll have to drop your email in notes for each episode and maybe people will know but it's essentially it's nico n-i-c-o at bmwblog.com and um hopefully you know people send questions in you know feedback they want to hear some different topics we will try to get into maybe some pre-owned cars as well discussion older generation cars which one makes sense to buy if it's a good buy we can talk about that as well i mean there's so many different things that we can explore with the podcast uh, i'm actually personally excited because it's off to a good start we have a lot of subscribers already a lot of listeners so um this is great and that's kind of what we try to do i mean just as an ending you know as a you know Let's try to promote ourselves a little bit. I mean, we we try to reach different different readers and different audiences, you know, different channels. And basically, that's why we have the website. We have you know a mobile app. We have more on that. We have all the you know, the social media channels, you know, Instagram, you know, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and then we do also a Discord chat where we try to you know connect directly with people a bit more. I'm personally quite active on responding to, you know, questions on Instagram, especially. And then now with the podcast, I think we're doing a great job there as well. And then I think we'll have a lot more videos, you know, in our portfolio too. So I think you're doing a good job with the videos too. So I have more on that. Because that. Some, yeah, some, some, some people seem to love to consume, you know, YouTube videos. And I think it makes sense for us to do more because we do have access to a lot of cool events and cool cars where we can get a lot of footage. Yeah. Yeah, we want to have uh, something regular so you guys can listen. You know that every Monday you can uh, tune in and get a good podcast and hopefully an entertaining one. Exactly. 
Great. Well, Nico, thanks for having me. No, thanks for uh, Saturday uh, night. So if people want to know, we yeah. recorded this super late at you know eight thirty p.m. Eastern time on a Saturday night. So we <laughs> we we work Saturdays too, apparently. Yes, we do. But um, thanks for having me once again. No, Nico. thanks for answering my questions and uh, entertaining Absolutely. the idiot that uh, does this podcast. So oh, you're doing a good job. <laughs> right. I will definitely chat soon. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks.